Welcome back to the Weekly Driver Podcast. We're now on episode 106, and we have a special guest today from uh, across the pond, if you will. Uh, Andrew Noakes has written a definitive history of Bentley. Uh, Bentley, of course, is celebrating its 100th anniversary. It had the mark, one of the marks at the uh, Monterey Auto Week in California, in Central California, and it's I've seen a lot of information about Bentley celebrating 100 uh, years as an automaker. And so, Andrew, welcome to our show, our podcast, and we're, we're all ears to hear about um, the wonderful world of Bentley. Thank you for being our guest. Thank you for having me. It's good to be here. Can we start off just by a little explanation of, of tackling a project that, that talks and discusses uh, a car maker uh, that's 100 years old? Where do you, how, how do you begin such a task? <laughs> well, it is difficult because um, if you're a if you're a journalist or you're a historian and you want to tell um, any kind of a story, what you really want to do is you want to get back to to what they call primary sources. You want to talk to the people that were there, the people that were involved in creating those cars, creating this this fantastic story. Um, and of course, if you're dealing with something that's celebrating its centenary. You really can't do that. It would have been wonderful to be able to go and interview W. O. Bentley. Sure, um, but he 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 hasn't been around for for some years. So so you can't do that. So you have to be you have to be clever, uh, I suppose, at trying to pick the best sources you can to be able to tell that that story. And and one of the nice things about about Bentley um, is that W. O. Actually did quite a lot of writing and in his later years and he wrote about his experiences um and so a lot of that is very well covered in you know by the man himself so it's almost like having a conversation with him so so it sort of makes it easier to to cover the very earliest days days of Bentley and of course we are talking about going back to 1919 and and even before that you know the book starts you know we talk about um where Bentley came from um and and his upbringing and his upbringing was very important to the story because he um he got interested very early on in steam engines and then became a an apprentice with a, a railway company in in the uk and then got into motorcycles um, and after he'd finished that he realized that steam engines probably wasn't where his uh, his life lay his career lay um but he looked at the motor industry and this was the early 20th century he was looking at the motor industry kind of growing and becoming more successful and he thought well actually that that could be where the opportunity lies for me so so we go right back to sort of the the earliest days of of the 20th century wow and wo actually he was a amateur racer right he did, he raced motorcycles that's how he got his start and his his love of he, of speed that that's right yeah he um i think he was influenced by some of the other apprentices uh, yeah, the works where the steam engine works where he was uh, he was training, and I think some of them were into motorcycles. And he um, he got into motorbikes and and bought um, uh, well, he had a succession of motorcycles. And and once he got into those motorcycles, he then started to strip them down and improve them and tune them and make them more powerful. And and then he and he started to race them. So he did. Um, 
uh, I'm not sure you, you do them so much in, in the US, but we do a lot of um, things called hill climbs. Uh, you do have Pikes Peak. Yes. Um, we do a similar sort of thing, but but on a smaller scale, uh, I suppose, or shorter shorter scale in uh, in the UK. So we have lots of hill climb events where you race against the clock. And he did a lot of those kinds of events and then sort of graduated from that to doing things like the tourist trophy races in the Isle of Man, although he wasn't very successful there. Um, and it's sort of, I think that's really where he's interested in, in, in kind of gas engines and, and motorcycles and cars. That that's where all of that came from. And, um, and yeah, it's, it's something I think people, um, unless they've read the book probably won't, uh, sort of, uh, know or remember about Bentley is that he wasn't just a guy who, who designed cars and, you know, he, he was a, uh, an interesting and innovative engineer, but he wasn't just an engineer. He was, as you say, he started out as being someone who was a real enthusiast for, for the vehicles, first bikes and then cars. Um, and he was a racer, you know, there's one of the, one of the nice things I think about telling this story is that part of it is about the development of the vehicles but there's also lots of interesting human stories that go alongside all of that he he got Um, really interested in endurance racing right and that's what eventually to the led to the 24 hours of le mans well he did although he uh actually when when um the the le mans thing sort of came along at a good time for bentley for for bentley the car company because it came along in the early 20s that somebody suddenly said well let's do a 24-hour race you know and nobody had ever really done that before um and and right at the beginning bentley was completely against it he said no cars aren't designed to race for 24 hours you you can't do and so as an engineer he was sort of saying no 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 we can't do this um and um and it was kind of the the first entry in into the le mans 24 hours by a bentley was a private car and it was only after that performed pretty well um that bentley started to to think well actually perhaps we could do this and of course they went on to this enormous success at at le mans winning five times in in the 20s and 30s and and then coming back later so but yeah he was he was dead against it right at the start but then you look at you know it's not because he wasn't a racer that wasn't why he was he was uh, against it. He was against it from a, an engineer's point of view, and and I think one of the interesting things that kind of points out just what a racer he was was when when you skip a bit forward into the story and you have the the four and a half liter blower Bentley, the the famous supercharged Bentley of the 1920s, that was created elsewhere by by Birkin and and his team. Um, when that ran at the tourist trade car race in northern ireland in 1929 bentley actually said i will rate i will run as your riding mechanic the the, the the you know the second guy in the car i i personally will ride as that and he he was birkin's riding mechanic in in that car because he was he just wanted to know how it was going to work and he wanted to be right there you know so he, he was he was a a complete petrol head really that that's the thing that people sort of don't sort of remember about about bentley I was just going to add the same thing that I've only had the opportunity to drive two Bentleys. And what I think like everybody else, if you're a layperson, which I was at the time, um, you think of elegance and you think of just perfect craftsmanship, but the history of the car as a, as a racing vehicle and in, in many of uh, Bentley's promotional and marketing and public relations materials, you do see that reference to the five, five wins at Le Mans. 
And that just came as a complete surprise. And I, I, I'm assuming that's the case for many people. They just don't understand or how would they know that the car had such a, a great racing past? They see it as an elegant car. They do, yeah. And I think that's partly down to the way that the brand developed because it, it, it originally started out that it was a it was a car that was supposed to be a, a, a quality car. It was supposed to be a bit a cut above you know, the average that, that you could get because Bentley was an engineer and he wanted to produce a well-engineered car. Um, but he very quickly saw that the way to promote that car and to promote the fact that it was reliable and it, it, it produced a lot of power was was to race it, was to, to use it in, in competition. Um, but the kind of people that bought that car, some of them used it in competition, certainly, but a lot of them were wealthy customers who wanted as you say an elegant car a car that was that was refined um and and that sort of led to the the way that they developed those cars through rather than going down the the supercharged route which like i say was a kind of an offshoot that birkin tim birkin did rather than it being a factory um development the factory went more to to saying let's go the route of going to bigger engine cars would go to the the six liter and the speed six and then the eight liter ultimately which was a rival for the the biggest sort of rolls royces um and and that became a a car that had you know huge limousine bodies on it and and that kind of thing and then when rolls royce took over ultimately in 1931 they produced a whole new sort of rentleys which kind of developed that idea that they were still slightly sporting but they had Rolls-Royce's ideas about um, producing a car with, with refinement, and they called them the silent sports car. And, and I think Bentley sort of developed from there into this idea that they're going to be, yes, massively fast. And you look at today's cars, and they are, they're you know, hugely fast cars, but they also have this e- enormous kind of refinement to them. Which, and I think it's that combination that really makes them unique. Yes, Andrew, I had a question I, I really don't understand, and you probably do understand. Back in the day in the <laughs> 20s, 30s, they actually built chassis and sold those to customers, did they not? And, and then they would, the customer would get his own coach work by you know, other designers. How did yeah. that work? What was that yeah, all about? Yeah, that's right. What was that? Why well, did that they was, do that? that was, it was quite common. In fact, it was, it was almost... Um, uh, you know, it was the normal thing that okay. um, you wouldn't buy uh, a complete car. What you would do is you would buy a, as you say, you would you would go to a, what today we would call a car manufacturer, and you would buy a chassis. So you go to Bentley, you would order a chassis, you would spec the chassis you wanted with a particular engine specification you wanted, how long the chassis was, because very often there was a short and a long wheelbase, various other things. Um, and then you would have that chassis delivered to a coach builder. And the coach builder would build a body. And in fact, a lot of the early Bentleys, they had a quite nice arrangement with the early Bentleys because the workshop where the first Bentleys were um, created and, and built was a place called New Street Mews, um, which nobody will, will know, but um, some people might have heard of Baker Street in London, which is associated with Sherlock Holmes. Um, and just off Baker Street is New Street Mews, which is where Bentleys really began. Um, and they rented their workshop from a coach builder and so of course all the early bentleys had coach built bodies by this coach builder um and um and and so it meant that there was kind of a a great opportunity for sort of creativity and for lots of different coach builders to 
put their mark onto um, Bentley chassis. So it's it's quite a sort of an alien concept from for, for 2019. And would they call the car? Uh, it's something that would the car be called? It was still called the, a Bentley. Yeah. Whatever the chassis was, that's the car. Even though Talbot or somebody that, else made the that, coach work. Yeah, that's right. So it would be it, it would still be a Bentley, and it would still have almost always not always but but you know 99 times out of 100 it would still have that characteristic sort of horseshoe bentley grill um but the rest of the coachwork would very often reflect the style of the coach builder and of their stylists rather than being something that was related to the 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 company itself so for example you know later on one of the cars that um is kind of a, a one of the most famous Bentleys of all, and in fact, it's one of the cars that you know people are often ask the question about. You know, what's your favourite car, or what's the car that you would want to have? Well, I've got a whole list of them, but one of them <laughs> is um, a Bentley coupe. We'd call it these days a two door um, with a very sort of fast back, hard top body, very unusual on a vintage Bentley chassis, um, Speed Six. Um, that was built for Wolf Bonato, who owned Bentley at the time. Um, and that was by a coach builder called Gurney Nutting. Um, and and so it's still, it's known as a Bentley Speed 6, but with Gurney Nutting coach work. So, uh, so yeah, that's, if I ever had a, it would have to be a very big lottery win. But if I ever had a, <laughs> you know, suddenly came into several million dollars that that would be the car that i'd make an offer on. and that's what makes it fun i guess for collectors right because they're somewhat unattainable because they're not many or only one made and each one has a you know unique history to it that's right yeah you've got um you've got cars i mean particularly you know the ones that are sort of the the ones that i suppose everybody would want are the cars that have the the kind of provenance of being the cars that were the team cars that were involved in in the Le Mans races you know so you want the one that um Sammy Davis and Dudley Benjafield crashed at Le Mans in 1927 and they then they got it back to the pits and they pieced it together and and sort of tried to bend the chassis back so it was straight and strapped a flashlight on the front because they'd broken the the the, uh headlamps you know and then raced through the night and won the race you know that fantastic stories yeah it's a brilliant story isn't it yes having you know and this this same crash had already eliminated the whole of the rest of the bentley team so it's you know it's a a wonderful sort of rags to riches kind of story so you want a car that's got that kind of history to it when you go going back a a little bit when you were mentioning the blowers and and um for the last several years, the, one of the newspapers on the Monterey Peninsula um, has a, a special section as Monterey Auto Week gets closer. And uh, each year, they, I'm um, fortunate enough to, to learn about cars. They ask me to write about different marks that, uh, that happen each year or something unusual that they always bring into the show. And, of course, one of them this year was Bentley. And to, to look and do some research and to find out that somehow they managed to get, I think it was six or seven, of cars that either no one thought were still available or they really had to search the globe to find it. And somehow they got all those cars together. Um, I'm sure that you were aware of that. And, and were you there? And, and what did you make of all that? And uh, those very, very rare cars were all in one place. I, I didn't. And I wish I had seen that because uh, uh, that sounds absolutely fantastic. Yeah, it, it is amazing. I mean, these, these things do 
it's amazing that these things do still turn up. You you would think, okay, you can understand that cars might get stuck in a barn somewhere and be lost for 10 or 20 years and then somebody dies or, or whatever and, and they go and look in the barn and see what's there. And, oh, look, there's a, a vintage Bentley that we didn't know about. But you, you would kind of think, well, surely all of those cars have been found by now, but <laughs> yes, they do still yeah. seem to turn up. It's it's absolutely incredible. And, um, and of course, because they're worth so much money now they're millions of dollars each yes then kind of almost no matter what time has done to them over the period they've been they've been stored no matter what the conditions are in which they've been stored it's worth financially it's worth putting the 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 money into them to to restore them and so a lot of these cars are safe which which is great i think also to to revisit the discussion or the mention of uh of rolls royce um Present day, uh, I, I've only been to a couple of uh, Bentley functions where, you know, the somebody who's an expert speaks about the Bentley and they introduce a new vehicle for the year and there's public relations and marketing people. And it's all it's it's great to, to have that experience. But it, it almost seems like Rolls Royce now is, a, for lack of a better term, a dirty word. Um, is that not true or, or what is the relationship now and are, do they try to stay separate or is there still some simpatico, if you will, between the two companies? I think they, they have to be separate because, um, as you know, they, they were, um, there was the Rolls Royce takeover in 1931, Rolls Royce and Bentley then were, were very much, you know, they, they gradually sort of got closer and closer together until eventually a Bentley was, was nothing more than a Rolls Royce with a, a different grill and different badges. Yes. Um, and and in a way that that was a shame because it would have been nice if there had been um, Bentleys throughout and you know the latter part of the sixties and into the seventies that were um, that were individual to the mark. But on another level, you can say, well, actually, that strategy, for want of a better word, was um, at least meant that Bentley didn't disappear. You know, when the the, the T-Series and the, and the Silver Shadow came along in 65. That could have been a point where Rolls-Royce said, actually, Bentley doesn't really pay its way right now. And this is the point where we, we retire it. We just don't offer any Bentleys now. We just offer the Rolls-Royce Silver Shadow. Um, and it might have just disappeared. And then we wouldn't have, I wouldn't have read, written the book. Um, <laughs> yes. But actually, actually <laughs> what happened was it was still available and there was still a little tiny drip feed of Bentley all the way through the, the late 60s and, and the 70s until it got to the point where the Bentley mark could could be revived. Um, and, and ultimately, when Bentley and Rolls-Royce went their separate ways, I, I, I think they kind of, at that point, they have to kind of concentrate on their own, their own thing, you know, rather than um, uh, there being much sort of cross-talk beto- between the two. Although I think if you... If you talk to enthusiasts, particularly here, you know, if you talk to the Rolls Royce Enthusiasts Club, for example, who are yes. obviously very much keen on on Rolls Royces, um, they're they're also quite keen on Rolls Royce era Bentleys as well. So I think the the enthusiast community is, is quite happy that you know they know that there's a connection between them in, for a certain era, and and they're quite happy and relaxed about that. So there was kind of a malaise years where the uh, badge engineering, I think you call it in one of your chapters, went on. But mm. uh, what was it, 98 or so when uh, VW Group bought Bentley? And I think everything's been on an uptick, hasn't it? New cars, it, it more power, a, more everything. Yeah. Better. Well, it, it actually, it was it was a bit earlier than that when it really sort of kicked off. And it was probably that which 
um, sort of made Volkswagen interested in, in the company. It was really sort of, um, I, I suppose, sort of throughout the 70s, there was um, a lot of work that Rolls-Royce motor cars, which included Bentley then, um, did on turbocharging their V8 engine. And in the sort of early 80s, when turbocharged engines really sort of found acceptance and you had the you know the Saab 99 turbo and then things like the Audi Quattro came along and um, all of these kind of turbo cars were, were sort of starting to be, become the norm um, they sort of thought well we've already developed a V8 turbo version what should we do with it and in the end they decided that the thing to do with it is to put it into a Bentley and because Bentley was supposed to be a slightly more sporting kind of mark um, and they created the, the Bentley Mulsanne Turbo. And I don't think they really understood how successful that was going to be. And it became very successful and then led on to the Turbo R, which is the same thing, but with a, a developed chassis. So it was R for road holding. So it was had a bit more grip and better handling. And it kind of developed from there. And then they got more specialist models from there. So So kind of early 80s was really the turning point where we went from cars that were just Rolls Royces with different badges to something where you said, well, actually, no, this has got something special that I can't get from a Rolls Royce. This is a, a different kind of car. And it just went from there. Um, and it's, it's, as you say, been a, a kind of a, an upward facing success story ever, ever since. One thing I never thought I would see, and, and I hadn't thought about it till recent years is that the cars like Bentley and now I think Lamborghini and maybe Ferrari and others uh, have introduced um, what almost seems like an oxymoron, but I accept it, and I'm sure others accept it now too, is the concept <laughs> of a, a luxury car, a supercar, uh, a refined car being offered as an SUV. And it, it, it yeah. almost seems contradictory, but what are your thoughts, Andrew, on, on that in, in terms of do the public just has to come around to this is the, this is the, the future and it's now in terms of automobiles? <laughs> <laughs> well, yes, it is. And I mean, it's, <clears throat> I'm not sure it's the public coming around to it, because of course, it's the public that's asking for these cars, you yes. know, Bentley, Bentley, and all of these manufacturers, you know, Ferrari, you know, is a great example, if, if they're doing it, as we think they are, then, you know, they're not doing it because they think that's what's good for us. They're doing it because people are banging on the door saying, please, please make an SUV because yeah. I'll buy one. I'll buy 10, you know, <laughs> yes. and, and, and they, and they can't, they can't overlook that, you know? So, um, but I think it's, I think that's particularly difficult for somebody like Ferrari or Lamborghini because I mean, Lamborghini maybe because they kind of did things with, you know, cheetahs and all that years back. Yes. Ferrari, I think it's quite a difficult sort of philosophical problem. Should we be making an SUV? Um, I, a company like Lotus, you know, should they be making an SUV? Aston Porsche, Martin, Porsche got through it though. SUV? Yeah, Porsche got through. So, um, <laughs> absolutely, yeah, yeah, that's right. Um, people, uh, I, I talked to, um, uh, I, I run a an automotive journalism class at um, Coventry University, and a lot of those students, you know, we talk about Porsche, and they sort of say, well, yeah, why is this? sports car company making suvs and i said well actually you've got that wrong what you've got to think about in terms of where the money is and and how this company has survived is actually porsche these days is an suv company that also makes sports cars you've there got you to go. think of it in those and, terms. A, and a four-door one to boot right <laughs> <laughs> that as well yeah, yeah. but I, but i think i think for bentley it actually makes more sense to make an suv i think that fits quite nicely with the brand because the brand yes okay it's it's uh, maybe is about sports cars but it's also about as we said big luxury 
elegant cars. Whether you think Bentayga's elegant or not is another story, but um, in theory, you know, it's about that kind of car. It's about a car that offers luxury and performance and refinement and whatever you want it to do. And I think that kind of ethos fits quite well with an SUV. It's it's kind of like the thing which I mentioned in the book about how if we're going to end up um, transitioning to electric vehicles, um, it's going to be interesting to see how Bentley handle that. Yes, but Bentley have got a kind of that they've got more of a chance of making that work than somebody like Ferrari. You can't imagine what a, a pure electric Ferrari would be like. How do you make that work? But if a pure electric Bentley actually kind of works because electric is all about being quiet and having lots of low down torque straight away. You know, from from rest and and unfussed performance, and that's exactly what a Bentley is all about. So you can see why an EV or an SUV kind of fits into what Bentley's about. Hadn't thought about that, but thanks. That's That makes a good point. <laughs> I, I think my favorite car is that SUV, the Benton Yeager. It's You talk about silent, low-end torque. It's like a sports car. Take yeah. it skiing, four-wheel drive. It yes. does everything. It does everything. Yeah, we... Um, just to follow up on that, uh, in in our podcast world, I'm I'm more of the journalistic background, and Bruce has the automotive background. But we both agree that when we had some time with that car, it was it's both of our favorite cars to to review and to talk about because it's just a superior. It does everything. It does everything, and superior, and yeah. it was it was fantastic. Absolutely, and and you've got to look at you you know I I think you've got to be careful about. Um, it's very easy for for motoring journalists to to sort of say, oh, you know, it's it's no good because it shouldn't be an SUV and or it shouldn't be automatic or it shouldn't be this or that. Um, but you kind of have to think, well, actually, it's not what you as a journalist or you as a, a an automotive enthusiast are actually after that you've got to worry about. It's what does the market want? What are the people that are actually buying these cars want? And if what they want is um, an SUV or an electric car or a hybrid or an automatic or whatever, if that's what they want, then that's what it makes sense for this manufacturer to build. And, and you know, that's what Bentley's doing. And, and they're being very successful at it. Yes, I have, I have a, a close friend who's a, a non-car guy. He just buys the car strictly for transportation and, and doesn't have a, a passion or even much of an interest in them other than he's got to have one. And he always says, well, if, if, if nobody bought them, I bring cars to his house and show them from time to time. And he says, well, you know, who would buy that car? And then immediately he follows up with, well, if, if nobody bought them, they wouldn't make them. So your, your point's very well made and very well taken. I have to kind of remind myself sometimes that it's the public demand that um, d- d- dictates these things. And uh, it's, a, it's a lesson learned. That's right. Yeah, it's it's easy to lose track of that and sort of think you you know they they should be doing this, but you think well actually why are they doing what they're doing? And as you say, it's because they're meeting a demand and and they know who their customers are. You know they they've been doing this a long time and they understand the kind of people that are um, that are buying these cars be- better than the rest of us really do. So. Um, in 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 a general interest way, uh, when you look at Bentley. Um, all I can I keep going back to the word elegant and or two words elegant and refined, and uh, Rolls is Rolls, and there are other cars that people just if a Ferrari goes down the road and people you know gawk at a Ferrari, but for me it's always been Bentley. So, is there a way to kind of condense or to uh, surmise what makes a Bentley Bentley? What what does it what is it about a Bentley that just sticks out am, among all cars? 
It's an interesting idea. Um, what what exactly is it that makes it sort of special? Yes. I, I think it's it, it's a combination of things, as it always is. Um, I, I think I, I think as you say, yes, elegance um, and and refinement, and certainly, and I think you can sort of extend that idea of refinement in that it's it, it's also about performance, but it's about those two things together. It's performance and refinement and. I suppose effortlessness. This is the thing that always comes across to me when I drive a Bentley: is that it's it's just about it will it just goes, it just performs, and it's not you know you don't have to work hard. Um, and uh, as a driver, you don't have to work hard. And you know, in some cases, if it is something like a Ferrari or a Lotus or a, or whatever, um, having to work at it is part of the appeal of, uh, of doing it. Um, but that's where a Bentley is different. A Bentley is, is really about um, being able to achieve all of this enormous performance and yet do it with sort of extreme civility and this, this total lack of kind of effort. You just feel like the car just has it in control all the time. Having a cup uh, you know, of tea, and, and, sure. Yeah, having a cup of tea. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Yeah, they they don't they don't seem to provide that facility in the cars, which is strange. You can buy Fiat's. Yeah, that, champagne flutes you know, in the back. Fiat, yeah. Yeah, that's right. Uh-huh. You, you can get Fiat's with with sort of uh, uh, espresso machines in. Why why can't we get a Bentley that makes tea? I, I suppose they'll tell me now that you can actually get I that. I think option. Bruce is onto something. Yeah, he may be, be a consultant now. He gets a little cut of the action. Instead <laughs> of coach building, I can I can be a, a interior design guy that puts in espresso machines. I I wanted to revisit um, uh, without much transition here. I wanted to revisit the book process a little bit because. In addition sure. to your text, which you know, obviously you're the, an expert among experts. How how does one go about um, determining what of all the images you could possibly use? The images are beautiful, and how was that process determined? I can imagine. I can, I can. All I can envision is some massive room where all of these, um, you know, uh, potential photos are just all all the negatives are on the walls, or all the images potentially to be used. And you, you've got to cut it down from thousands to thousands to a couple of hundred. I'm assuming. Uh, what is that yeah, process? Right. What is that process like? It is. A, it's a very difficult process because um, because as you say, you've got more available than you could ever possibly use. Yes. Um, but we were we were really lucky because with this book, it's um, it's kind of a partnership between. Um, between me as an author and the um, the publishers and the Bentley Drivers Club, um, and the Bentley Drivers Club has a an archive um, which has got a, an an amazing amount of material, um, and um, and I went down there with the designers of the book, um, and we we spent a lot of time going through. Um, just you know boxes and boxes and boxes of material dating right back to the very earliest days of Bentley, even before the Bentley company was, um, was created. So for example, in the book, there are some pictures of, um, cars called DFPs, which was a French car. And that was the, the car, um, that the original Bentley company before the car company was, was created. Um, WO and one of his brothers, um, had a company which imported DFP cars to, to the uk and so we've got some pictures of those cars um and we've got a, a reproduction of one of the um sales brochures that was used to to sell those cars that came out of the bentley drivers club archive so that was the bentley company's own sort of file copy 
of that brochure, you know, and we we were handling bits of paper that were signed by W.O. Bentley or had W.O.'s copy written on the top or whatever, you know, and it's amazing to be, you know, that close to this history that is 100, 110, 120 years old. It's, it's extraordinary stuff. So we, so we just had piles and piles of, you know, bits of documentation and images that we could we could sort of choose the the, the best of. And, and some of it was, I mean, you say, you know, things were sort of hanging around the walls. Some of it actually was. I mean, for example, <laughs> the, the, there is a very famous picture by Terence Cuneo, a painting of... The, the car that I was talking about earlier, the uh, the fastback uh, yeah. Speed Six Coupe, mm, um, yes. which when Bernardo had it, he raced the blue train, um, the express train across France. A very famous story, um, and uh, and beat the blue train across France, and um, was um, Bentley Motors as a result were fined by the French government for racing on public roads, and the story goes that they never paid the fine, and it's still standing today. Um, but anyway, there was there was this um, this event happened, um, and there's a very famous Terence Cunio painting of um, the the this fastback car and the blue train, uh, kind of neck and neck. Oh great! Um, and I it, saw and that image. And yes. it's, a, it's a great painting. It's exciting looking. It's a great yes. painting, and and yeah, there is a copy of that at, at the uh, at the Bentley Drive Club HQ, and so we've reproduced that. Um, and it, and it's quite interesting because there's a story that goes along with that as well. Because although that car, that fastback car, is always known as the Blue Train Bentley, it actually wasn't that car um, that Bernardo raced the Blue Train with. Um, and even if it had been, the, the car and the train were never in exactly the same spot at exactly the same moment. So what happened in the picture never, you know, on various levels, could never have taken place. So it's all got a bit of artistic license in it but it's a nice photo it adds to it's the nice, a, a nice painting it adds to the legend <laughs> it adds of, to the legend uh, uh, yeah, yeah that's right yeah hey andrew um yeah. we likely could spend the whole day uh talking about this because it's just fascinating to talk to someone with so much knowledge and, and passion and what what you say in the book and but we we um we've kind of come to the end of the episode and but we wanted to make sure that people again know about your book so could you just take us through the facts and figures that, of this wonderful, large, heavy book and uh, its availability and um, that sort of thing. Yeah, it's, um, it's, it's about uh, 240 pages. Um, it's a, uh, an entire history of, of Bentley. So uh, as we say, right from the birth of W.O. Bentley right up to the 2019 cars, um, covering everything. We even cover a few things that aren't just the cars, things like um, the... Uh, aero engines that bentley was involved in during the war you know that was his contribution to the first world war so we cover those we cover everything um and uh, and as we've just been talking about all of these fantastic images that yes. come largely from the bentley drivers club archive so there's a couple of hundred images there a lot of those have never really been seen before um some some will be familiar ones they're things like the le mans wins and stuff like that but a lot of them are things that um nobody will have seen before in print which is which is great and it's available um, at all the regular outlets, uh, Amazon, for example, and others. Absolutely, it's yes. uh, it's uh, hopefully available everywhere. Um, and if anybody does have problems getting hold of the book, um, if you go to my website, which is andrewnokes.com, you can get hold of me, and I will be able to tell you where you can get it. Fantastic! Yeah. That's a good place to to wrap up. We want to thank our guest, Andrew Noakes, uh, who's written this uh, 
uh, incomparable, uh, definitive word of the history of Bentley. I'm assuming it's almost everybody's favorite car. Um, that may be a blanket statement, but it is the most elegant and refined car with great performance and all, all the superlatives you can imagine. So, Andrew, thank you for being our guest um, from, from across the pond today in England, I assume. And uh, thank you for being our guest on the Weekly Driver Podcast. We very much appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. It's been great. Cheers. All right.